0: Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend, Chapter 1 Thunder rolled across the night sky like a well-trained dog, signalling the start of a storm. Given that in Ireland it tended to rain most of the time, a little thunder was hardly newsworthy. Dry days existed solely to give the clouds time to absorb some water. But on this particular night, the storm had a hint of the unusual to it. While the rain poured down from above, and the wind howled like a pack of banshees out on a hen's night, thunder boomed numerous times. Thunder that never had the accompanying lightning. Had any meteorologists been in the area, they would have no doubt found it all very interesting but this storm was taking place over a remote and desolate field in the middle of County Louth, a field where no meteorologists would have been walking on such a miserable night. In fact, the only creature daft enough to be out on such a horrible evening was a barn owl nestled in a large oak tree, watching the world go by. Another boom of thunder rumbled through the clouds above, followed by a dazzlingly bright flash of light that nearly blinded the owl. Lines of electricity started to run through the grey and fluffy clouds, gathering at a central point. As more and more jagged spikes of electricity collected in one area, they started to grow in intensity and brightness. The owl found it painful to look at. Then, without any indication or warning, the lightning shot down towards the earth and struck the ground. It caused a small explosion of grass and muck to spray into the air, before vanishing. The rain continued to fall from the night sky and hissed as it met the warm earth. The owl focused its attention on the hole in the ground left behind by the bolt of lightning or rather, what was sitting in the hole. It was a female human, entirely naked curled up in a small ball. After a few seconds, Young curled and rose unsteadily to her feet. Once she had stood up The woman stretched her arms above her head and opened her hands wide. The rain made her very naked body extremely wet. Not that this was of any interest to the owl. As far as it was concerned, the entire human race had a disturbing lack of feathers. Not that the owl actually had thoughts of this nature to begin with. Well, that was unexpected, the woman said as she crawled out of the hole and looked around. She started to walk across the field towards the tree that the owl was perched in. There was something about how she moved that unsettled the bird. It spread its wings and glided silently through the air, keeping an eye out for anything else that might be entertaining to watch. Or maybe even eat. Drew the Druid, proprietor of Dublin's oldest magic store, which dealt with selling objects both mystical and mundane, sat behind his shop counter and stared out the window at the stream of would-be customers passing by. It had been a quiet day in terms of actual sales but that could have been due to varying and numerous factors. For starters, people may have grown wise to the fact that most of the objects in the store were much more mundane than actually mystical. But he doubted that very much. As a shrewd businessman and full-time druid, Drew had made it his number one rule that for every ten bogus items he sold, the next sale would be a genuine magical object. Not that the normal, everyday people who came in could tell the difference. Plus. When proper practitioners of magic entered his store they generally asked Drew for the exact thing that they wanted leaving very little room for a scam meaning the Druid made a sale that was completely above board. Unless of course such an object would have led to some harm befalling a person that was always a grey area that he liked to avoid entering. Drew did not actively sell black magic items but he did know where to acquire the odd object or two He just tried to keep such sales very quiet. To ensure that those who police such matters never heard about his little shop on Parliament Street, one had to have some standards after all, otherwise there was a risk that the fairy folk might get involved in your affairs. But today, business had been slow, leaving Drew time to ponder on the lack of customers in his shop. For the past few hours, he had stared out the window, willing the passers-by to come in then turned and looked around the empty store to make sure nobody had somehow managed to sneak in without being noticed. The shop remained devoid of paying patrons or even perusing people. It seemed that today was going to just be one of those days, time slowly crawling forwards towards closing and dragging out every second along the way. Then Drew heard the most joyous sound, one that brought a smile to every store trader in the world over. The shop door opened. It gave a slight creak as the hinges cried out for a drop of oil, a cry which Drew ignored as usual, mainly because the noise they made never failed to draw his attention to a new arrival, a potential sale walking into the store. A young, slender woman stepped in from the street and carefully closed the door behind her. She was dressed in a typical young person's attire, jeans, a brightly coloured top and some nice colourful shoes. Her long red hair was brushed so straight that it could have been used to rule a page. As the woman made eye contact with Drew, she smiled. The sunlight shining through the store window, hitting her emerald green eyes in such a way that they twinkled. Uh, Hello, Drew said. Welcome to the Druid Stone. Please let me know if you need any assistance. Why, thank you, the woman said. Outside, a bus drove past. The driver blowing his horn loudly at a group of modern-day street urchins who had decided that crossing the road at a snail's pace was the fastest way to reach the other side. Drew the Druid watched them for a moment and shook his head, disapprovingly. He turned back and looked at his customer, trying to figure out what she might be in the market for, judging by the items she was inspecting. Her long brunette hair was tied back in a ponytail, showing off more of her dark brown eyes than before. Now hang on a second, Drew said to himself while never claiming to have the most impressive or useful of memories. Drew was fairly sure that when it came to short-term recollection, he ranked up there with most people. He looked around the rest of the shop floor quickly and saw that his customer count had definitely not increased beyond one. There was a single person in the store with him, and that person was over at the models of dragons and angels. Only now her hair and eyes had changed colour. Must be getting old. Either that or need a coffee, he said rubbing furiously at his eyes. As he brought his hands back down, the customer came over to stand before him. Her blonde hair had been arranged into a plait that hung from the side of her head, tucked behind her left ear. Two sapphire blue eyes looked at him, starting at his toes and slowly working up to his slightly hooked nose before stopping at his bald head. Nice robe, she said. You don't find many druids keeping with the old garb these days. It helps with the customers if they think they're dealing with an actual druid. An actual druid who actually wears what actual druids actually wore. The woman half smiled and nodded her head in agreement. We can see that making some kind of sense. We can also see that you're an actual druid, complete with a fairy who gives you some magic in exchange for whatever it is. Hold on there now, Mrs. Drew said, waving his hands in front of her to stop any further discussion and looked around quickly to make sure that it definitely was just the pair of them in the store. The less said on that the better, right? Besides, the rules aren't been broken. It's a mutually beneficial pact between two consenting, higher-thinking creatures. Not like druids in the old days, who captured a fairy and forced it to give some magic to a non-magically inclined human. Plus, I only use it for running the store. I can't exactly conjure up fireballs or make women fall in love with me. You'll have to trust me. I've tried. Both. The woman smiled, revealing a set of perfectly white teeth. Well, then everything is in order. No harm, no foul. Drew looked at the woman again, squinting. While he had been involved in the magical retail business for years, it had in no way prepared him for the clientele that he sometimes had to deal with. Mostly the store was occupied with tourists looking for interesting and magical Irish relics, ones that came with little certificates which guaranteed 100% authenticity. Just because said certificates were downloaded and printed from the internet meant nothing. At least it meant nothing to Drew. Buyer be unaware, as his father used to say. Then you would get the customers who actually knew a little bit about the magical world. Enough to cast a weak spell or request an item that really worked. Rarely, though, would you get a customer such as the one standing before Drew at that moment in time. A genuine magical being. A fairy. It was the only logical conclusion to come to. Logical in a world where magic constituted part of what a person took as fact. "'Is this not violating the rules?' he asked her. "'I mean, the rules seem to be fairly flaky affairs as it stands. "'But you're a full-blown fairy standing in front of me and talking to me, "'albeit grammatically incorrect.' He blinked. Before him stood the red-headed girl who had originally entered the store. Well, the rules are more like guidelines than real rules, if you follow, she said. Also, we're technically not a single person breaking the rules. But more importantly, the rule about mortals not seeing one of the fairy folk is also just common sense. Why would we bother revealing ourselves to you when we can enjoy the freedom of invisibility without having to interact with your kind? Should we choose to show ourselves, while not causing a problem for the fairy world as a whole, that is acceptable under the rules. I think I understand, Drew said, amazed at how complete the girl's transformation from one look to the next was. So, uh, how may I help you all then? Do you need something that stops your hair changing colour? We are the Morai, the woman said. But you may call us Morai, as maybe the the sounds a little pretentious or formal. Have you heard of us? Drew gave her a slow nod at the head during which he blinked and the girl once again transformed into her brunette appearance. Any druid worth his salt had heard of the Morai. All cultures around the world had their own versions of myths and legends, and in each there was always a personification of fate, a being that acted to ensure events happened in a preordained way so that the world continued on as expected. In Irish mythology, this role was filled by the Moray, Three sisters who could see the past, present and future at the same time. And alter the course of events if needed. Typically, at least according to the stories, the sisters appeared together and spoke in a strange way. One would speak, then drop the sentence right as another picked it up. The more I, it seemed, had decided to spice things up a little bit, with all three occupying the same body. A cold dread crept over Drew at that moment. In the stories, no matter which one you read, Fate was always delivering bad news that usually resulted in the untimely death of the hero she spoke with. Drew had never considered himself a hero. He was a druid through and through, and no druid ever had a legend written about him saving the day. So the fact that the Morai was standing in the store had to mean unpleasant things were about to happen to him. He swallowed and stared into Morai's eyes. I have, Drew said in scarce more than a whisper. Excellent. We've need of your services. For some reason, the one we seek is hidden from us. However, we know you and he are associates of a kind. We would very much like to meet him. He needs to help us save the world. Like, now. Drew let out a sigh of relief. Directions. She just wanted directions. Nothing bad could ever come from a person giving directions. If you just tell me who it is you need to find. If I know their name, I'll help. No problem. Perhaps you could more than just tell us where to find them. Perhaps you could accompany us and perform some introductions. It may make what we have to say easier for them to understand, if a friendly face is with us. Don't forget, you did offer us your assistance when we first entered the store. Coming along with us would be a great help. Sure then. I was about to close the shop anyway. Slow day. So who is it you're looking for? As he blinked again, the woman turned into the blonde girl. We would very much like to speak with Filthy Henry, Mariah said, the fairy detective. Drew rolled his eyes at the mention of that name. It turned out there were things worse than being told by the Mariah you were going to die. You could get told that you had to deal with the fairy detective. You shouldn't have done it. That's all I'm saying. It wasn't morally right. Well, you're just never happy, are you? What exactly did I do wrong this time? Really? Even you? The great and powerful fairy detective? Cannot possibly be so blind to right and wrong that you think what you did was okay? The argument had been going on for the past half an hour. Shelley had barely spoken to filthy Henry while they'd been on the Lewis. Dublin's lightweight tram system that trundled along the streets of the city at plodding speed. He was not entirely sure if this had been because she was formulating her argument first or because she did not want to draw the attention of the other passengers. However, as soon as they had gotten off at their stop and started walking back to the office, she had kicked off once more. Kicked off and then some. It seemed that Shelley had taken some sort of moral high ground in an affair that had no real need for such ground to be taken. At least that was how the ferry detective saw things. He stopped walking and looked at her. First things first, Vildy Henry said, tucking his hand into the pockets of his suit trousers so that his brown trench coat was gathered up behind him. Who works for whom in this little arrangement? Shelley pivoted on her heel and stared him right in the eye. What's that got to do with anything? Besides, you keep saying I'm not your partner. Yeah, which you're not. But apparently you've decided to stick around and bother me while demanding payment. Ergo, You're an employee of Celtic Investigations, making me your employer. For years, Filthy Henry had never given a name to his detective agency, preferring to just have Filthy Henry the Fairy Detective on the window of his office door. But then Shelley had stuck around and done some rebranding, calling the outfit Celtic Investigations, which, while being a pretty good name, was irritating because after sixty years in the business, despite looking like a man in his mid-thirties thanks to being half a fairy, Filthy Henry had never come up with a name like that. A blatantly brilliant and obviously good name. So the name is sticking, then, is it? Shelley asked, crossing her arm and giving him a withering look. "Eh, That doesn't matter, Filthy Henry replied. What matters is that I get paid. Ergo, you get paid. Therefore, we take a case, we get paid. End of. She shook her head. No, we take a case, we solve the case and we get paid. This was just you robbing an old lady of some money. Ah, sure she can afford it, Filthy Henry said, his internal guilt dial sitting comfortably at zero. Did you see the size of her house? Her dog has a guest house on his kennel for Dagda's steak. She hired us to get rid of a ghost in her attic, and you took money from her afterwards. So? Shelley threw up her arms in the air, clearly getting more annoyed with Filthy Henry, a fact that brought his internal sense of divilment no end of enjoyment. There was no ghost. You didn't actually have to do anything. Meaning you robbed an old lady. You took her money. Filthy Henry took a calming deep breath. For no real reason other than to make Shelley think she was really getting to him. And held up his hand for calm. Hang on. We're hired to, in the client's own words, come by the house and leave when you're sure there's no ghost in the attic. Just because there was no ghost in the attic before we started, Doesn't mean I'm going to go and waste some of my magic doing an incantation to make you think she got value for money. When I left, there was no ghost in the attic. Ergo, I get paid. Now drop it. He marched on past her, ignoring the glare she gave him. The problem with using logic in an argument was that the loser always hated how it never worked in their favour. It's still wrong, Shelley said, catching up with him and matching his pace. You should have just told her it was the old window which kept opening on its own and took no money from her. You and your wordplay. Verbal trickery. That's all it is. The fairy detective thought, not for the first time since meeting Shelley, about casting a silencing spell on her. Instead, he decided to try a different approach with his unwanted employee. Fine. Then the next stupid case that trundles across my way we can do pro bono. How about that? Would that help to balance out the cosmic karma scales in your head where everything is black and white? Shelley considered the offer for a minute, frowned a little, then nodded her head in agreement. She stuck out her right hand. Deal. Now shake so you can't pull some fast one on me. I'm wise to how all this works at this stage. The fairy detective shook her hand, shook it firmly three times then let go. Finally, some peace and quiet they continued walking down Upper Abbey Street, past the stores and coffee shops, heading towards Middle Abbey Street where Filthy Henry's office and home was located. The streets were packed with the usual crowd of midday shoppers and tourists aimlessly walking around. Crossing at the top of Upper Liffey Street onto Middle Abbey Street proper, the ferry detective caught sight of people waiting outside his building. Filthy Henry had bought the building roughly 20 years ago and had been cursed with something of a cash flow problem shortly after signing the mortgage. Cash tended to throw freely and quickly out from his pockets, but never back in again, even for a man with the ability to conjure money out of thin air with a click of the fingers. True, such magically minted money faded away after a few hours, but it lasted long enough to cover the cost of a meal before questions were asked. Depositing such money into a bank account, however, was a big no-no. The fairy world kept a close eye on such transactions, to make sure that Filthy Henry did not abuse his abilities and rise above a station the easy way. Plus, leprechauns were a lot more involved in the human banking world than people would have believed. The tiny guys with their crocks of gold really preferred for mortgages to be repaid in full, with real money. However, thanks to a case that Filthy Henry had taken on at the request of Dagda, chief of the Celtic Gods, the fairy detective now owned the building outright. Small payment, he felt for solving a case that had had a bunch of pagan deities stumped. That looks like Drew, Shelley said, indicating the pair standing outside the street-level door of the building. It can't be, Filthy Henry said. He never leaves that bloody shop of his. He reckons the fairy folk are out to get him. You know, on account of him having a fairy that he borrows magic from. As they drew closer to the three stone steps, which led up to the building's front door, it turned out Shelley was correct. Drew the Druid had left the comfort of his little magic shop and ventured across the city. That, however, was not the most interesting thing to be seen. While the sight of Drew outside was a rare occurrence, the woman standing beside him was even more interesting. Filthy Henry was not entirely sure, but it looked like her hair, which had been blonde mere moments before, was now a rich red colour. Drew saw them approach and stood up, Dusting down his grey druid's robe that Filthy Henry was fairly certain made up the bald man's entire wardrobe. As promised, Drew said to the woman beside him. Filthy Henry, the fairy detective. Drew, Filthy Henry said, nodding his head by way of a greeting. It's not like you to bring me a customer. It wasn't by choice, the druid replied. Shall we go inside? Shelly asked, pulling a key out from her coat pocket. No, no. Our clients are about to get the full Celtic Investigations experience, which always starts with them buying us lunch. Drew narrowed his eyes and stared at the very detective for a moment, before turning his head slightly to look at Shelley. That's not like an actual thing, is it? Filthy Henry watched as Shelley had an internal debate about whether or not to tell the truth. Finally, hunger won out over honor. It sort of is, she said. Plus, we get to pick the place for the truly authentic Celtic Investigations experience, you understand. She was cold. There were many contributing factors to this current state of affairs. The arduous trek through the woods for most of the night had definitely not helped. As the rain had poured down from the heavens above, it had soaked her to the bone. A wind had blown through the trees, making the rain feel all the colder and ensuring that any cover offered by the branches was minimal. Then again, being as naked as the day she was born was also going to add to the levels of displeasure. After the sun had risen, she had found a tree stump with some moss covering it and sat down to reflect on a few things. The nudity was definitely a problem. It would make getting around unnoticed particularly difficult. People had a tendency to stop and stare at others who were naked, stare in silent judgement of them. Plus, with a figure as appealing as she had, there would be no end of men frozen to the spot, gawking at her like a piece of meat. The woman looked around the forest and came upon the final problem to her current situation. Just where in Balor's name am I? she asked the surrounding trees. Overhead, birds flew free from their perches and went deeper into the forest. Another gust of wind caused some raindrops to splash against her bare back as the leaves moved. To her left a twig snapped. The woman turned slightly and looked over her shoulder. An old crone stepped out from behind an oak tree. Her gnarled hands rested on top of a crooked walking stick. A red scarf bundled up her grey hair, so that it was kept back from a face that had seen, judging by the numerous lines and wrinkles, more than its fair share of years. One of her eyes was open wide, yet from the other she squinted. Her clothing seemed to consist mainly of multiple tartan blankets wrapped around her body. Hello, my dear, the crone said, tilting her head so that her fully open eye could get a better view of the woman on the stump. You took your time, the woman said. Actually, Maeve, you're early, the crone said. In a manner of speaking, at least. Maeve rubbed her upper arms as another cold wind blew. Well, excuse me for being slightly impatient. Did you bring me some clothing at least, fairy? The crone smiled a smile of crooked teeth you believe I forgot them? They're back home. Come along now, this is no state for a queen to be seen in. Shelley had picked a nice little coffee shop on Bachelors Walk called The Sweetest Thing. While being a not-so-subtle nod to one of Ireland's biggest musical exports, the name also hinted at what sort of fare a patron could expect. Aside from the usual assorted coffees and pastries, combined with a small selection of sandwiches, The sweetest thing had an array of cakes, sweets and chocolate-infused drinks that would have made Willy Wonka drool. It was the sort of place that Filthy Henry tended to visit when he needed a massive infusion of sugary goodness, after a particularly magically intensive event. The worse the food was for a person's health, the better it could be converted into magical energy for the fairy detective. Being able to enjoy such gluttonous treats was one of his many irritating traits. Since it meant he rarely counted calories, and viewed the inside of a gym through the window while eating delicious food. Shelley liked the café because the barista put a handful of tiny marshmallows into the orange-flavoured hot chocolate drink, her favourite thing to order. Even better since Drew was paying, she could view this as a little treat, one that came with extra tiny marshmallows. The weather was dry for a change. This meant they could sit down at one of the small circular tables outside on the street. Filthy Henry had taken the chair closest to the shop window and stared across at Drew's friend. Shelley sat next to him. The more I, as Drew had introduced the client, took the seat beside Shelley. Upon his return with their order, Drew the Druid took the last seat, placing the tray down on the table in front of them. It cost like an extra two euro for the mini marshmallows, he said, handing Shelley her drink. Oh, did it? Shelley asked with mock surprise. I thought it was free. Hmm. Lesson learned. From the corner of her eye she caught Filthy Henry's smile as he lifted his hazelnut coffee from the tray. After working together for a few months it was clear that the fairy detective was starting to be a bad influence on her. Shelley ignored him and looked at the Morai. Or just Morai as the fairy had requested they call her. Whenever Shelley looked away Morai's features changed. Her hair colour was not the same and her eyes took on a different hue. Sometimes it even happened when Shetty blinked. She mentally turned on her fairy vision to see the magical world and looked at the woman. Viewing the fairy creature using the second sight was a slightly unsettling experience, as all manner of fairy folk appeared on the street around them. Her eye became an indistinct blur of moving coloured lines. It was like watching a strange pencil animation come to life, almost as if three people were occupying the same spot in space and time vying with each other to be the one in control at any given moment. Watching her made Shelley's stomach feel queasy. She mentally flicked the fairy vision off again and just accepted the alternating hairstyle. Should she be doing that? Shelley said to Filthy Henry, with a nod of her head in the direction of her eye. I mean, normal people can see her shift. Filthy Henry took a sip from his drink and shook his head. Ah, that won't matter. Their mind will just fix the memory they'll think they were mistaken and that whatever colour hair they see her with at the moment has always been the colour she had. The real important question is this. Why are you here and showing yourself to this parlour-trick magician? Hey, I resent that, Drew said as he spooned some sugar into his tea. I mean, I'm as much a part of the fairy world as you are. Yeah, right, Filthy Henry said, reaching over to give the druid a condescending pat on the hand. Morai looked around the table at each of them in turn brushing back a strand of red hair in front of her face and frowned. You are not... friends? she asked. Well, he doesn't really do friends, Shelley said, making air quotes as she spoke the last word and nodding towards Filthy Henry. Yep, it's true, Filthy Henry added. I'm even considering getting rid of some acquaintances as it happens. Shelley knew it was a dig at her, so she didn't rise to it. Instead, she pulled out her trusty notepad and pen from a coat pocket and looked at Mariah. So... "'You're a fairy with a problem, and we help fairies with problems. "'Humans with fairy problems too, as it happens. "'We don't like to discriminate.' I tilted her head to the side and stared at Shelley. "'We have no problems, "'other than the fact we could not find Filthy Henry ourselves. "'It appears he has hidden from us.' "'Yeah, that's something dear old Dad did back in the day,' "'Filthy Henry said. "'Figured some fairy folk might have sought to do me harm, "'if they could find me using magical means.' Then why did you ask Drew to bring you here, Shelley said, glancing at the fairy detective. When there is about to be an event, a Nask Driechta, that affects both worlds, human and fairy, a champion must be sought and trained, prepared for what is to come, Morai said. Filthy Henry smiled. You've clearly been talking to the wrong sort of fairy if you think I'm a champion. They generally call me by other, well, less pleasant names. And not just fairies, Drew added. Regardless, you are the person we have chosen, Mariah said. Drew Shelley and the fairy detective looked at each other briefly then back at Mariah. She had once again changed her appearance. Chosen for what exactly? Filthy Henry asked, leaning forward and resting his folded arms on the tabletop. You haven't told us a whole lot here. Mariah straightened in her chair and placed her hands flat on the table. Around them the coffee shop customers came and went, paying no heed to their little area at all. Shelley half-expected some magical light show to start. Her experience with the fairy world was that they never did anything simple. Why tell a person something using words when you could conjure up animations at the drop of a hat? You're familiar with the old Celtic legend, the Tawn, where asked them. Filthy Henry and Drew nodded like sage old men. Shelley, however, frowned and shook her head. No, not really, she said, turning to the fairy detective. Since they had started working together, Shelley relied a lot on Filthy Henry to explain the workings of the fairy world to her. What each race could and could not do with magic. Why she was not allowed to eat mushrooms from inside fairy forts. That sort of thing. One fact he had told her earlier in their partnership involved the old fairy tales of Ireland. He'd explained to Shelley that each tale began with a nugget of truth. Leprechauns really did keep their gold at the end of a rainbow for example. Except in real life, the rainbow was a magical alarm system protecting the pot from theft. No doubt this story, the tawn, had also began its fictional life as an actual event. It's from the Ulster Cycle, Filthy Henry said to Shelley. You probably do know it under another name. The Cattle Raid of Cooley? Coo Cullen, during his teenage years, fighting against an invading army single-handedly to protect a magical bull. Oh yeah, we read it in school. So you are familiar with it? Good, Moray said. Before the army of Maeve suffered defeat, the Queen struck a deal with a nearby squad. That's kind of like a witch, only a fairy creature instead a human, the fairy detective explained to Shelley when she looked at him. The woman cast a spell over the Queen. It moved her forward in time so that she could once again attempt to steal the bull. Rather than arrive a week after the battle to steal the animal, Maeve has appeared now, last night as it happens. She intends to capture the bull once again. This must be prevented at all costs. A champion has to ensure that Maeve is defeated. Permanently this time. And this champion is me. I don't fight as a rule. Let alone fight women, Fildy Henry said. Mariah slowly shook her head. You were not the champion, fairy Detective. Sometimes we are a few sentences ahead of ourselves due to how we perceive time. This may have caused confusion. You merely need to prepare the champion. When we learned what Maeve had done, we acted quickly, but could not conjure a spell powerful enough to move the champion forward in time. However, we ensured that his bloodline would last throughout the years, so that when she returned, his descendants would be ready. Shelley looked at Drew, who had now covered his mouth with both hands. His shoulders were shuddering, while his eyes were closed tightly shut. She ignored him and pointed at the fairy creature across from her. I figured out who you are, she said. You're our version of the Sisters of Fate. Typically, there are three of them, but you're all in one body. Very good, Phil Henry said, lifting his cup for a sip of coffee. But if I'm not the champion, then why do you need me to train him? Isn't he already, like, good to go? Having received training his entire life by some mystical order of monks with a crappy name like The Brotherhood of the Bull. Mirai turned and looked directly at the fairy detective. This world is vastly different from the time of the original raid. Men are less brave. It's almost as if the world has made them weak and soft. You need to train the current incarnation of Ku Cullen. Show him how to fight like the warrior he is descended from. But why Filthy Henry precisely? Shelley asked. He doesn't exactly do the whole warrior thing himself. I mean, look at him. He generally fights by postponing the actual fight so he can, like, not fight another day. No offence. None taken at all, the fairy detective said, taking another mouthful of his drink. Drew's shoulders had started to visibly shake at this point, his face turning a bright shade of red. Mariah frowned at Filthy Henry, then turned her head and looked at the druid. He opened his eyes for a moment, saw she was looking at him, and nodded quickly twice. We need you to train him, Halfbreed, Mariah said looking back at Shelley and Filthy Henry. Because the champion is your son. Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend is a novel by Derek Power. More Filthy Henry novels are available to buy on Amazon Kindle. Narration and music by Niall Milton. To keep up to date with episodes this season, why not subscribe or like or share? We'd really appreciate it.